I shall offer him. Kill those two men. Nothing in the world can stop me now! Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we are going to be watching The Underwater Menace. The Underwater Menace was written by Jeffrey Orm? Orme? I'm not sure. What? It was written by Jeffrey. Directed by Julia Smith and produced by Eins Lloyd. It aired January 14th, 1967 to, uh, hi, you want to put the actual day, Mac? God damn it, Mac. God damn it, past me. You have one job. January 14th, 1967 to February 4th, 1967. It's more painful than it needed to be. So I was uh, warning Caleb of this in between episodes but i told a little lie when i said that we were going to be watching the next episode because we are but we're just going to be watching half of it because i have the dvd that has episodes two and three intact but episodes one and four are just screenshots without any sort of narration whatsoever so we thought it would be better if we listen to episodes one and four and watch episodes two and three that's our strategy. But, uh, Caleb, here's the ever-fateful question. Given everything you know about Doctor Who, and given the title, The Underwater Menace, what do you think this episode is going to be about? This episode is inspired by the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, where the TARDIS has, or where the Doctor has to convert the TARDIS into a underwater submarine vessel and fight a giant squid monster. That's it. And that will be 100% accurate. Giant squid monsters. Crazy steampunk stuff. I almost went with Bioshock, but I thought I'd save that for a better episode. (laughs) You know... Okay, as someone who has never read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, there might be some similarities (laughs) from what little I know about the book. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a ripoff. I'm just saying... (laughs) copyright laws in the 60s were very loose compared to today (laughs) i mean kind (laughs) of but i already have uh the trivia written down for this episode and it's some bonkers ass shit so (laughs) i'm looking forward to watching this okay julia julia smith the director she was the same one who directed the smugglers she was the one who william hartnell snapped at it's like, no, I can't do that because that opens the door. I have to go all the way around the console in order if I'm going to turn it on. <laughs> all right. She's dealt with uh, <clears throat> difficult actors in the past. <laughs> may or may not come through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that will be interesting. 
but yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to this episode. And uh, I suppose with that, we'll see you all in the future. Let's get going. I like my TARDIS noise more. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was four days for us. Not too shabby. Not too Quick turnaround. It was very stressful. It's very stressful. You know what would make it less stressful, Caleb? If you paced it out a little bit uh, instead of treating it like a goddamn cram session <laughs> and trying to time it. So like, uh, I just need a, I just need an extra half hour just in case. <laughs> okay, but you you guys have to, you the audience, Mac will never understand this about me. I will you, not. Please continue. You the audience have to understand that I, I did not even cram. I never studied for anything. So pacing stuff out, even doing any amount of prep work for anything, never done it before. This This is completely new territory to me. <laughs> I wish we did video because Mac, <laughs> Mac just looks pissed right now. Just to be clear, your excuse for waiting until the last second to just rush through all of these episodes so that you can make it in time for the recording is that you didn't study enough in school? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Just making sure we're on the same page here. We've been best friends for 20 years. Well, since it's so fresh... Yeah, God help me. Uh, since it's so fresh in your mind, Caleb, what are your what are your uh, general thoughts about the underwater menace? I would, I didn't like it as a story. I I didn't like it, but there are things I really love about it, and there's also things I really hate about it. But overall, as an episode, I could take it or leave it. So, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm understanding, the underwater menace is to you what the Romans is to me. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean? Does that mean this is your Romans? No, 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 no. Because I, 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 I kind of feel the same way. There's a, there's, there's a lot I actually did really like about this episode, but there's also some stuff that maybe wasn't as good as it could have been. I don't know. <laughs> oh my, oh my God, we'll get, we will get into it. But I have thoughts about the fucking plot of this episode. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and give you uh, some trivia because Caleb. Caleb, Caleb, the production of this goddamn episode was such a fucking shit show. <laughs> Drama! One thing that you'll probably probably agree with, uh, so this was written by Jeffrey Orm, and uh, if I remember correctly, he submitted a script to be done by Doctor Who before, but it was rejected. But then this one got accepted, and so thinking that he was never going to have another opportunity like this again, he basically threw everything he possibly could into one episode. And I think that really comes through. I mean, shoot your shot, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The director, Julia Smith, she was, how do I put this? She is a very accomplished director, but she's also a very no nonsense director. She is a, we are here to do a job. We are going to do that job, and then we're going to be finished. Meanwhile, the casts, you know, like to have fun, like to enjoy their time on set. 
which means none of the main cast got along well with her at all. <laughs> they kept having fun and messing around, and Julia kept snapping at them like a schoolteacher, and Patrick Troughton at one point called her a miserable old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen uh, and listened to interviews with Annika Wills, and she was like, you know, in retrospect... We were probably, we probably didn't give her enough slack. We probably were a little bit meaner to her than we probably should have been. Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> Patrick Dow- Troughton disliked the story, saying the costumes were ridiculous, as was the makeup for the fish people. The producer, Ennis Lloyd, disliked the story because it felt like something out of an American, quote, an American 50s B-movie. <laughs> Annika disliked the story because it made Polly just a damsel in distress. And then there's another thing later that I will bring up. And uh, Michael Craze also said that uh, the whole thing was badly conceived. Quote, tatty old scripts, costumes, and everything. And he said that the director was so emotionally charged that she would burst into tears at everything. So, (laughs) not a great time on set for this particular adventure. On that note... Let's go ahead and dive into this shit show, shall we? Let's just get into it. Wow. I think it's the first time where I've heard the cast actually disliked an episode I also disliked. <laughs> right? Most of the time I'm like, wow, that episode's fucking stupid. And you're like, oh, well, that was uh, William Hartnell's favorite episode of the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is always the case. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's start with episode one of The Underwater Menace. Be weird if we started with episode three. Uh, honestly. <laughs> Episode two is what I want to get to, to be honest. I don't know. Episode three is the one that I want to get to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything after episode one. Oh, but let's do this. So the TARDIS and its crew arrive on a volcanic island. The companions explore while the doctor stares at some rocks. As they explore, the three are captured by mysterious figures. The companions are thrown into a makeshift prison, followed shortly by the doctor. The room drops and they seem to be going down below the sea. They are escorted into a dining hall where the doctor gets really excited about eating plankton. They are confronted by a priest named Lolum, who informs them that they will all be sacrificed to the god Amdo. The doctor tries to weasel his way out of being sacrificed by saying he has a message for a Professor Zaroff, who he apparently knows is here. The travelers are going to get fed to sharks, but Zaroff arrives just in time to save them. Well, the doctor at least. He convinces Zaroff to save his friends before revealing he doesn't have a message for Zaroff. The scientist is mad at first, but then he thinks it's a pretty funny joke. A scientist named Damon takes the travelers and gives them all roles in the mysterious society. He sends Jamie and Ben to the mines and decides to turn Polly into a fish person slave thing. The doctor and Zaroff talk, and he realizes they are in the city of Atlantis. A young girl named Aura tells them the fate planned for Polly, and the doctor asks her to help rescue the young woman. The episode ends with Polly being strapped to a table. At the very start... Jamie enters the TARDIS, and he's having his, whoa, it's bigger on the inside moment. And when Ben and Polly first introduced, uh, f- first became companions, I mentioned that they were the first ones that didn't have any sort of transitional companions. This time, they are the transitional companions for Jamie. And they do a real shit job of selling this to Jamie. Because... <laughs> Basically, it all boils down to, we have no idea where we're going, and you'll probably never see home again. Isn't it great? (laughs) (laughs) The Doctor isn't much better, too, because doesn't he... He makes some kind of quote, and Jamie is just like, 
what? Yeah, he quotes some sort of uh, philosopher. I don't remember who it was. And then he was like, oh, right. He won't be born for like another 20 to 30 years after after your time. Never mind. James is like, okay. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, what is space and time? And then they land and they exit the TARDIS. And Jamie is surprisingly cool with being in a completely different place in time suddenly. Like, I know Ben and Polly and the Doctor were just explaining what the TARDIS is, but Jamie just, like, doesn't bat an eye when they are in a completely different place. He just kind of rolls with it, and, like, he he really shouldn't at least have, like, any real comprehension of what they're talking about. Yeah. As I said before, what is space and time? I think that might be one of Jamie's strengths in terms of his low intelligence. He's just a... I never have any idea what anyone is talking about, so I just kind of go with it. <laughs> Which, uh, this is jumping ahead a bit, but the, he says something like that at the end of this episode, doesn't he? Like, they all get back to the TARDIS, and he's like, guys, I'm not gonna lie, I have no fucking idea what just happened back there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then, god damn it, Caleb, put another, like, tally mark on the chalkboard, because once again, someone sees a figure in the distance like, I could have sworn I just saw something. Ah, it's just your imagination. You're just crazy. Why, Why do you always think that? <laughs> oh, Polly, that's just you and your womanly wiles. You're probably just on your period. <laughs> it pisses me off, Caleb. <laughs> and it should, because it's dumb. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of numb to it at this point. I'm like, oh, yeah, the, there's the obvious thing that no one believes, even though this happens every fucking time they go anywhere. <laughs> I was in the mood to watch some uh, classic Who, so I pulled one of my DVDs off the shelf and I watched a, I think it was a fifth Doctor, no, it was a fourth Doctor episode, and they fucking did it again, and I was just like, I'm just gonna have to get used to this. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get used to this, because this will not stop. It will never fucking stop. This is this is our life for the next four years, at least. <laughs> so, uh, Polly, Ben, and Jamie get captured and then thrown into this cage and then the doctor gets captured and thrown in that same cage. And then they start descending like an elevator. And I don't know if you had this thought, but I definitely did. Which is like a screen drops down and says, I am Andrew Ryan. Yep. And I, I, I had to ask you a question. Thing. Yep. <laughs> I had the exact same thought. I was like, oh, okay, it's Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't want to say it's the dumbest line that's been said in this show so far. But it's definitely one of the weirdest. Because... They get down there, and they're, like, accosted by Atlantean guards, and they, like, in in Atlantean, they tell them to, to follow them. And Ben says, and I quote, Polly, you speak foreign. Go and ask him where we are. Oh, yeah, and then she tries to speak, like, French to them. <laughs> yeah, but, like, Ben, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mac, are you honestly, like... Are you really questioning, like, Ben's, like, thought process? The only thing Ben comprehends well is we should leave. But everything beyond that is a stretch for him. To Ben, there are two languages. English and foreign. Ben is just an American Englishman. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Strangely enough, I just rewatched the movie Atlantis, the Disney movie Atlantis. And it was kind of like a similar scene where Polly, like, tries a couple of different languages she she speaks french i think she speaks german and uh but like they're not having any of it and she's like i got nothing i I, I don't know what to tell you but also 
Why can't they understand the Atlanteans? Isn't the TARDIS supposed to do some mumbo-jumbo where they understand all languages? They should be able to. That That is definitely something I noted, too. I was like, okay. Well. Okay, whatever. Well, I guess the TARDIS works when it wants to. Um, but we gotta talk about, like, the Doctor just fucking food-gasming over this plankton. <laughs> yes, I have a thought. I have a thought. Maybe it is that good. Well... He makes the he makes the comment later that Professor Zaroff made a lot of achievements in technology and biology and agriculture. He basically made it so that plankton was edible to humanoids. He's the only one who's been able to do that. So when the doctor finds edible plankton, to him that's ah, it's Professor Zaroff. So I think he's I think he's less excited about the food itself. And more excited by the fact that this legendary scientist is here. He's set excited by the intellectual stimulus of this plankton. Kind of the implications of the plankton, if you will. <laughs> of course, the doctor learns pretty quickly to never meet your heroes because Zaroff <laughs> is, to use a technical term, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Off his fucking rocker. <laughs> Which I think is exactly what the doctor says in the next episode. <laughs> Yeah, and then they they get to the the temple and they're all worshiping this this god and they have this fish motif and I just my only note is shadow over Innsmouth. <laughs> yep, <laughs> very Lovecraftian, very fish peopley. Yeah, literal fish people. But then the doctor has a has a clever ruse. He gets a message to Zaroff saying, "My secret dies with me." Or like my vital secret dies with me or whatever. And then that's when Zaroff holds off the the execution. And then the doctor makes him make them call off the execution for everyone, not just the doctor. And then he does. And the other three are carted off. And Zaroff is like, okay, what's this vital secret you're talking about? And doctor says, I don't have one. I kind of expected him to come up with something right on the spot. <laughs> like, oh, my left shoe is one size bigger than my right. Or something. Something completely asinine. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's just like, no, I don't have anything. And Zarf is like, do you think I like being made a fool of? And the doctor's like, no. It was a pretty funny joke, though, wasn't it? And Zarf's like, it was damn funny. <laughs> what? You got balls, kid. Balls. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the first thing for me. I was like, what the fuck? Is this the logic we're going to use the whole arc? And yes, it was. It is, because again... Zoroff is off his walker. <laughs> uh, but yes, but that was that was the first red flag for me. Of this episode's going to go off the rails very, very quickly. And it did. And then Polly is shown these uh, fish people that uh, they used to be humans and they went un- underwent surgery to make them more aquatic. And they're used to gather food and whatnot around Atlantis. She says that they're beautiful. The scientist, Damon, he's like, well, I'm so glad you think that because we're about to turn you into one. And given everything that's been happening politically lately, forcing a woman against her will to undergo this invasive medical procedure was really skeeving me out. And the fact that Annika Wills is a very good actor was not helping (laughs) because I was just like... Ah, uh, I don't like this. <laughs> it was a big oof. 
I was more perturbed by the fact that she said they were beautiful, and I mean, I didn't want to see them until the next episode, but these are the ugliest fucking fish people you will ever imagine in your life. Like, this isn't some shape of water, I might get turned on by this fish kind of scenario. No. This is like, my kid's in a play and he's a fish level costume design. Yeah, if you get turned on by this, these fish people, you're wrong. That's it. You're just wrong. I mean, you were wrong in The Shape of Water, too, but now you really have issues. (laughs) Caleb, do not alienate our monster fucker demographic. We probably have a lot of those. Listen, monster fuckers, I'm here for you. Really am. But The Shape of Water sucks ass. (laughs) Yeah, so later in the story, there's, there's a dress that Polly is forced to wear and because it's like the ceremonial dress of a lot of the women in that culture. Annika describes it. I I watched I watched an interview with her. The DVD came with a whole like behind the scenes retrospect uh with a whole bunch of interviews of actors today that were involved in that show, involved in that episode. And she described it as there were these seashells that were actually used as ashtrays uh, back in the 60s. It was very it was very popular, very fashionable. They just stuck them on a dress. <laughs> they just took a bunch of them and just, like, pasted them on a dress. And I can only assume that's exactly what they did with these fish people of just, like, okay, someone go out to the beach, just get a bunch of seashells, and we're just gonna glue them to these people's faces and leotards. We're gonna macaroni art this shit. We're gonna make giant googly eyes and put them over the eyes. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking eyeballs. <laughs> uh, look at pictures. It's yeah. relentlessly hilarious. Yeah, it defies explanation. You really just have to look it up. Also, watching that documentary and also listening to the interview with Annika Wills at the end of our audio collection led me to the uh, conclusion that uh, she is just a treat. She is an absolutely wonderful human being. And I really wish I get to meet her someday. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's all I got for this episode. Uh, I feel like I had something else. Well, I I guess I can make the critique right now that like this turns into, I would describe this as Polly's Susan episode. Yes. Because she doesn't really do anything. But scream. But scream and get kidnapped. Yes. It is very frustrating. Annika Wills shares in her frustration because she absolutely hated how much of a damsel in distress she became. Especially considering, like, you know, she's kind of a boss bitch in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what she was that's what she was even saying. She was like, in the last episode, the episode before this, I got to do so much so much cool stuff. And then now it's just screaming and ah oh, it's dark i need someone to hold my hand and blah 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 <laughs> yeah she says the one line that she got in this entire episode that she really legitimately enjoyed was uh she got a chance to let her version of polly come out for just a second because they were like strapping her down to the medical table and she was just like you're not gonna turn me into a fish <laughs> and that, she was like that was my one line she's like you're not gonna turn me into a fish it's the only good line i got in the entire episode <laughs> damn four episodes and one good line luckily she's not in it too much so for her sake i'm sad that there isn't more polly so yeah like the good version of polly not the this version of polly yeah the good version of polly all right let's get on episode two that's that's where I, that's where i've got issues <laughs> yay issues <laughs> yay 
All right, episode two. The doctor fiddles with some switches and kills the lights in the lab, which gives Ara a chance to help Polly escape. While alone with the doctor, Zaroff reveals his plan to help raise Atlantis to the surface. The doctor says this would blow the planet up, and Zaroff responds with, Duh, that's the point. All the science dudes will mad respect me if I destroy the world. Jamie and Ben meet two workers named Sean and Jacko, who are the most lovable lazy assholes in the world. They are planning a breakout they want Ben and Jamie to join in on. After forcing an alarm to raise, they slip away into one of the tunnels. The doctor runs into a priest named Ramo, who is suspicious of Zaroff. The doctor convinces the priest to take him to their leader, so the doctor may convince him of Zaroff's true plan. Disguised as a priest, the two meet with... Uh, I realize now after I typed it out wrong, I typed it as Thoros, it's Thaus or something like that. I believe it's Thaus, yeah. Yeah, so the two meet Thaus, the Atlantean leader. He is unconvinced of the doctor's accusations, but says he will think on it. He summons them to announce his decision. Zaroff barges into the room, and Thaus says he may do whatever he wants with the with them which sounds super sexual oh yeah 100 percent. there is one character that has not been mentioned yet i want to say it's anna and oh it's like aura or something like that aura yes that was i it. mentioned her in both descriptions mag did you i sure did i wasn't listening anyway aura is like the handmaiden the man maiden of the temple i appreciate the fact that she's she's looking out for polly the entire time uh, my first note is women looking after, looking out for women. She's the one who like busts into the medical room and unties Polly, and she's like, "Let's get the fuck out of here." Mm-hmm. Which is also the scene where where Polly's like, "It's dark, I can't see," and Ars like, "All right, I guess I'll literally hold your hand." <laughs> this scene is goofy. So Polly's in a lab in another room, being fishified, and the doctor's with Zaroff, and he's like leaning up against the wall and just fucking pulling cables out of the wall. <laughs> like a madman. And then, like, Damon, I think his name is, comes in and starts accusing Zaroff of, like, messing with the power or stuff. And then they both look over the doctor and he just yanks this thing out of the wall. I think he's literally, he literally has a pair of wire cutters and is just, like, <laughs> bold as you can. It's just, like, cutting wires. Not even being subtle. And then they catch him, and he just has this expression of just like, did I do that? <laughs> it's very it's very strange. I thought the animation in um, The Power of the Dogs was exaggerating his, like, wild-eyed expression. But no, that's very no. much, that's very much no. how he looks. One thing I will definitely say in this episode's favor, I think this is the episode where Patrick Troughton starts coming in as his own as the Doctor. I feel like this is the episode where we're starting to get a feel for him. Well, I, we can actually see him. I think that helps. That too. does help. But also just like him having extensive conversations with Zaroff and just like playing along with him and just being like, oh, you're crazy. Okay. Speaking of crazy, let's just dive into that scene. Uh, yeah, my next note is Zaroff's plan is Team Magma levels of stupid. <laughs> it's basically the Team Magma plan, actually. Uh, so yeah, so Zaroff faked his own death or something, somehow discovered Atlantis, and convinced them that he could help them raise their city to the surface. And uh, I spaced out when they were explained how that was going to happen. But the doctor basically said, well, if you do it like that and you rip up all this stuff and, like, you try and put the water into the crust of the earth, the planet will explode. <laughs> Zaroff's plan was not to raise Atlantis, 
but to lower the sea level. And so his plan was to drill down into the Earth's core to basically make just like a drainage pipe for the ocean to go down. (laughs) (laughs) Chef's kiss. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, But the doctor was like, the planet will blow up if you do that. And Zorf basically goes, okay, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. He's like, that would be my stunning scientific achievement. And he's like, and I'll get all the respect. And I was like, everyone will be fucking dead, you asshole. Yeah, that was my note. My note was, the achievement of destroying the world. Then all the other scientists of the world will respect me. Hold on. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the the plot, the overarching villain is relentlessly stupid. I thought the Daleks hijacking Earth for bitches was dumb. But... <laughs> <laughs> But this is worse. This is infinitely yeah. worse. My next note is the doctor is just having just so much fun sabotaging everything he can get his hands on. Yeah. You know, this might be getting ahead of ourselves, but we got to talk about the way the doctor tries to conv- convince Thaos that Zaroff is bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm trying to make sure there's anything important to touch on before this. Let me see. Uh, in the first episode, what what is the what's the their god's name? Amdo. Amdo. In the first episode, they called her the living goddess, and I kind of expected there to be like a child or something sitting on the sitting on the altar, is like as the embodiment of the goddess. And uh, nope, they just called her the living goddess, and it's actually just a big face statue. Never mind. Well, uh, spoilers for the next episode. It, 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 it's implied that something talks out of it sometimes. Yeah. And that's true. why she's alive, because it speaks to them. That's true. There's one one thing I want to talk about before we, before we go into that <laughs> gem of a scene. I can't, des- I can't decide. I'm hoping that I'll be able to decide by the end of this discussion whether I'm a fan of the mix of like advanced scientific society and ancient ritualistic sacrifices, or if it feels very jarring going from one to the other. Like one one scene will be with a whole bunch of cultists who are worshiping at a pagan idol, and then the next we're we're in a scientist lab where they're doing things with beakers and performing surgery in order to make someone amphibious and i can't tell whether i like that or i don't i very much love the idea of like ancient cultural stuff being fused with like hyper advanced science i think that's cool as hell i think this episode does it horribly (laughs) yeah okay so it's good in concept yeah bad bad in execution it felt more like we're eating a piece of bread with peanut butter on it and a piece of bread with jelly on it but we never actually put them together <laughs> or just try to make it make sense because i think for me because like, i think it'd be interesting to see in terms of like factions so like it's a developed society but there's like a really fundamentalist side of it mm. mm-hmm. i feel like they tried to touch on that a little bit but not to no. any sort of degree that it impacted the story yeah not well enough i think because I think I make this note later, it might be a good way of showing just how much Saroff has imposed his will on this society, that the scientific laboratory is becoming so ingrained in a society that ordinarily would shun it. 
but it's becoming like split half and half at this point. Yeah, I wish there was more world building. Instead, we just get a lot of like really weird nonsense. Let's talk about Sean and Jacko for a second. Okay. Just for a second, because I, <laughs> I I really want to talk about the Thaus scene, but I just have to say that I really like Sean and Jacko. I wish they were companions. <laughs> what uh, What'd you like about them? Uh, they are relentlessly lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They 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 were fun loving. They were like, "Hey guys, we don't want to work. We also don't want to like live in a theocratic society. Like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a rebellion eventually." But for right now, our plan is to get lost down in the tunnels that maybe lead up to the surface. Who knows? Who knows? But you know what? It's not work. It's not work. <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> And then, oh my god! And then, spoiler alert: they start a union in the next episode. And <laughs> they the, do. the way Sean and Jago do it is just incredible. <laughs> yes, yeah, I actually have notes about that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so big scene. So the doctor meets a priest named Ramo, who he convinces that Zaroff is fucking crazy. Uh, so Ramo takes the doctor. Was not to... hard. Yeah, was not hard. So Ramo takes. The Doctor to Thaus, the leader of Atlantean society. And the Doctor, instead of giving the very sensible argument he gave to Ramo, <laughs> just goes fucking crazy for a second. His argument is literally like, now, when you're talking to Zarov, does he ever make a face like this? And then, like, bugs out his eyes. <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah, I guess. He's like, that's because Zarov is fucking crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because when he convinces Ramo, he like uses scientific proof to like show what would happen if Zaroff's plan goes off and like he like makes a pot explode. It's like that's Earth. That's what would happen if if Zaroff's plan happened. Ramo was like, "My god, that's awful." And then he goes to Thaus and Ramo's like, "Tell him what you told me." He's like, "Okay. Are you familiar with the concept of batshit crazy?" <laughs> Because the man that you trust completely is worthless, he's stupid, he's he's crazy, and he's going to kill us all. Okay, I think I've made my point. <laughs> Doctor, you haven't made any point. <laughs> well, especially... <laughs> the, the argument is really, he's like, he's like are, are you familiar with the term batshit crazy? And Thaus is like, no. And the doctor's like, well, let me show you. <laughs> and then, surprise, Thaus doesn't believe the doctor. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Because <laughs> he didn't say anything to believe. All he said was, hey, your most trusted advisor is bad. <laughs> that it? That's all you got? Okay. Okay. Well, bye. <laughs> and then the episode ends with Thaus not believing them, shocker of all shocks, and calls Zaroff into the room to do as he pleases. Uh, any other notes? Uh, nope. Um, yes. But this episode was hilarious and also very fucking <laughs> stressful. On to episode three, another episode where I have many thoughts. The doctor tries to convince Zaroff that Ramo was not to blame for the accusation, but the priest doesn't take the out. As punishment, it is decided the two will be sacrificed to the god Amdo. Just before they are beheaded on the shrine, the voice of Amdo fills the room and demands all its followers to close their eyes. Recognizing the ruse, the doctor leads Ramo to a secret enclave where he meets up with Polly, Ben, and Jamie. Ramo realizes that Polly played Amdo's voice and that his religion is a lie. When the priests come in super pumped about the miracle that swept the doctor and Ramo away, Zoroff is pissed and demands that all of Atlantis be swept 
to find them. Together, the travelers and their rebel companions devise a plan to form a union among the fish people, based. They will use the strike as a distraction to kidnap Zaroff. Using some disguises, Ben, Jamie, and the Doctor lead Zaroff away from his guards and capture him. Sean and Jocko literally bully the fish people into striking. Zaroff starts barking at the companions and then all of a sudden grows really tired. When the Doctor leaves, Zaroff drops the obvious ruse and kills Ramo before kidnapping Polly. Zaroff returns to Thaos and tries to take control of the situation. When he doesn't comply, Zaroff and his guards kill Thaos and all his allies. I feel like they just went down to the local surf shop and just plastered a whole bunch of shit to some rags and bam, instant Atlantean. Uh, now doing after some research, uh, yes, that is exactly what they did. <laughs> Surf's up, dude. And then, okay, so they're about to be executed, and then... Well, hang on, before we get to that, I really want to emphasize the point that the doctor tried to save Ramo, and Ramo just did not take it. Yeah. Because Zaroff is all like, I'm going to punish you guys. And the doctor was like, hey, don't punish Ramo. He just got caught up in what I was doing. This is all me. And Ramo was like, no, fuck you, Zaroff. This was totally me. <laughs> Which I don't know if that is really, really cool or really stupid. I think it's really cool. Ramo just like, <laughs> wait, you mean I have the option to not tell Zaroff to fuck off and die? No, 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 no. Fuck off and die. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah but it was a great moment that i was very conflicted on but now we agree it is based yeah no i'm I'm a, I'm a fan i'm a fan so then they're about to be sacrificed and then uh amdo tells everyone to shut their eyes plug up their ears and go la 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 well no actually they don't even do that they don't even do that they just tell them to shut their eyes and bow their heads and then the doctor is just like hey ramo I think this is our chance to escape. Let's get out of here. And then just like boop, 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 boop. Just walk. Not like stealthily or anything. They just walk away, open up a open up a stone door, and then close it behind them. And they're like, my God, it's a miracle. They're gone. Like, <laughs> are you all deaf? They, they were all just so swept up in the miracle that was happening around them. Trust me, I spent a lot of time around fundamentalist people. This is how they are. You know what? You got a point. Never mind. I take back that criticism. <laughs> we really got to emphasize the point here that, like, I don't remember who it was that was playing the voice, but it was one of the companions. I think the wiki said it was Polly, but it didn't sound like Polly. I think it was Ben. Yeah, I think it was, too. I thought it was Ben. But uh, anyways, so one of the companions pretends to be the voice, and, like, they go behind the statue, and there's, like, a little, like, fucking horn thing yeah pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind of and Ramo literally has a point has a moment of my whole life has been a lie and everyone's like <laughs> well let's get going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just never never do anything about it Ramo just has this like total crisis of faith and they're like well we really gotta get going <laughs> the very foundation of my world has just been shaken to its very core can i have like a minute there's no time <laughs> There's no time. We got to go yell at fish people. <laughs> and that's precisely what Sean and Jacko do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But let's talk about this plan, though, because the plan is to start a revolution uh, of the fish people. I get it. That's cool. I'm into it. But the plan is to starve them out. But, like, looking at my watch here, I'm pretty sure that Zaroff is going to blow up the world in, like, six hours. 
I don't think <laughs> I don't think starving him out is really gonna do anything. Yeah, I thought that too because there was a bunch of planks. They're like, oh, like it'll it's it'll work perfectly because the food rots after a couple of hours, so we only need a couple of hours for things to go wrong. It's like. But people can survive for like two or three hours without food before the fucking world blows up. They'll just skip lunch. What's the fucking deal? (laughs) Actually, Atlanteans are soy boy cucks and very weak-willed and need nutrition constantly. Ah, of course. Of course. I say that as a soy boy cuck. I understand. Well, according to several comments on my videos, I too am a soy boy cuck. So, like, game recognizing game here. (laughs) But anyways, so... They they want to start this like revolution. They want the they want the fish people to unionize basically and go on a strike. So Sean and Jacko go down to like the docks, I guess, and they're just straight up like, look at these fucking stupid fish people. Look at their bug eyes and the dumb scales. <laughs> uh, look at them like flopping around like a bunch of dumb fish, but they're not people like us. See, and then and then they get down they're like, that's how people talk about you. Doesn't that make you mad? <laughs> And they do. They just straight up bully the fish people into starting a union. See, my next note is we must make the fish people seize the means of production. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's based. Making a union and seizing the means of production, like, that's a great plan. That should be in every episode. (laughs) I just love the fact that Sean and Jacko's, like, way of doing that is not some kind of, like, appeal to reason or helping them unionize or anything like that. Just bullying them and making them feel bad about not doing it already. (laughs) Hey, fish people! Your dicks are small. Your dicks would be big if you started a union. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it's a great moment. Probably one of my favorite moments in this show period. (laughs) Speaking of great moments, they're in the market in like in disguise as as Atlanteans, which is when Polly is wearing the the really stupid dress. But like the guards recognize her and are like coming after her and they're like giving them the runaround. And then Ara comes up to this merchant and says, we need to hide now. And without even skipping a beat, the merchant is like, oh, yeah, no, I sell rugs. Here, hide under my rugs. And she, like, puts the rug over over Polly. I, I just I just love how the merchant doesn't even question why they might want to hide from the guards. <laughs> the merchant's just like, because fuck them. A cab. Who gives a shit? A cab. That's solidarity, brother. <laughs> it just goes back to this episode's theme of women supporting women. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor has a thing for disguises because I think he's been in a disguise in every single episode. Yes, yes, he has. <laughs> in power, in power of the Daleks, he was the uh, the inspector or whatever, examiner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then in Highlanders, he was. Both the German doctor, Dr. Von Wehr, and also the old lady, and then also a red coat. Yes. He had three <laughs> disguises in that one. So many hats. So many hats. He got another hat in this episode. Oh, yeah, because he even had a little moment about when they dressed him up as like a priest or whatever. They dressed him up as a priest so that he'd be able to meet up with Faust. And he's just like, how does it look on me? And Raymo's like, what? He's like, never mind. <laughs> So they're all they're all in disguise because Polly is wearing the dress and the the headpiece. And then Jamie and Ben are wearing like the black leotards of the of the Atlantean guard. And uh, Zaroff is chasing after is chasing after the doctor. And he says, you two with me. And he like points Jamie to Jamie and Ben. I'm like, do you not 
recognize them. They are one of the pe- they are two of the people that you are going after. Do you not <laughs> recognize them? The uh, the Atlanteans don't have wanted posters. True, because then because it's it's very muggy there. They don't really use a whole lot of paper because <laughs> yeah, I was gonna like, say the paper would just up. be wet. <laughs> and then the communist revolution works. Everyone quits like immediately. They're like, I'm Everyone too hungry. Everyone quits for this. immediately because they're not getting the food that was provided by the fish people slaves. And it's like, my next comment is easiest communist revolution ever. <laughs> <laughs> my theory: they weren't really hungry. Their their whole rationale was, well, if the fish people aren't going to work, I'm not going to work. <laughs> How come they get to take the day off? We should unionize. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it was the single most successful, easiest general strike of all time. <laughs> I don't remember specifically what the music was, but I know my next note is, the fuck is this music? Oh my god, the fucking underwater, like, dance sequence? Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, because my next note is, still focusing on the fish people, huh? Because that, that scene goes on forever. It's just showing them just swimming around, swimming around... Yeah, I'm not even sure what they were doing, but it is like five or six minutes of like this like very weird swim sequence. And swimming around. <laughs> I almost thought, I was like, because like the music, it kind of changed with, with like each new fish person on screen. I was like, is this them talking to each other? Like, am that I listening cool. to fish language right now? Uh, that would be cool if it wasn't so fucking stupid right now and there weren't subtitles. I think it's actually rather impressive because the way the actors are acting like they're swimming, I think it's they did pretty good like underwater type motions when in actuality they like rented some suspension equipment and they're all actually like suspended by wires. You can't see the wires. So that was impressive. I think the effect is actually rather well. My theory as to why this scene went on for as long as it did is because the um, rigging was very expensive to rent and they wanted to get as much bang for their buck as they possibly could. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. It is a very long sequence, though. It is. But then they successfully capture Zaroff and he... Sick man routines them. Yeah, he he pretends to be sick, and I'm like, obvious ruse is obvious. Jamie, Ben, and the doctor go off to the lab for reasons I was not entirely clear on. It was just to get them out of the room, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Zaroff is just, like, pretending to be sick, and he's like, oh, oh. And he's like, Ramos, I have something very important to tell you. Please come closer, come closer. And then exactly what you think is going to happen happens. And then Polly just, like, gets behind, like, a pot or something and crouches down and starts screaming. And I'm like, Polly, you bit a pirate's arm, like, a couple of episodes ago. Can we get back to that? (laughs) Can we get back to the biting and scratching Polly? (laughs) Beat this nerd up. (laughs) Please. And it was at this moment that I noticed that all the Atlanteans had eyebrows. It's, like, really bushy eyebrows on it was at this point that I noticed that. That was apparently an Atlantean trait. Trait, bushy eyebrows. I didn't notice until uh, Thaus got a uh, a close-up. My note is Thaus's eyebrows are doing the most. <laughs> because Zaroff escapes, and then he confronts Thaus, and Thaus is starting to have some second second thoughts about this plan of Zaroff's, because Zaroff has the crazy eyes! And then Zaroff is like, no, you're not going to, you're not going to stop my 
you're not going to stop my plans. And he shoots Thaus and then um, says in a very, very subtle, low key acting moment. <clears throat> Nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs> that was honestly very understated compared to what he did. It was because I didn't <laughs> want to peek my mic. <laughs> Uh, but we really need to emphasize here the moment. Zaroff does not shoot Thaos with, like, a Atlantean gun or some, like, crazy sci-fi gun. He just pulls a regular gun out of his robe out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> he, just, he just pulls out a gun and then fires it and, like, does... Uh- like, when I was miming doing that, I made my hand go back a little bit. He doesn't even do that. He just, bang. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, his hand just stays completely steady. And, like, he, like as if he didn't just pull a trigger. It's amazing. I really just think that Zaroff just had a gun. Because I, I don't remember ever seeing that hand the whole four episodes. So in my mind, Zoroff has just been holding this gun under his shirt, waiting the whole time. It's like, this is my moment. Jack Sparrow style. He's like, I've got one shot. <laughs> That's why he didn't pull it out when he was actually being held captive. No, 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 no. He needed to wait. It was just very strange because it wasn't even like a Chekhov's gun thing because the gun was not there the whole time. He just suddenly had a gun. But but yeah, that line is the... Um the most iconic line from this story because during that uh during that documentary that i watched literally every single one of the actors did their best impression of it every single <laughs> annika wills nothing in the world can stop me now fraser hines nothing in the world can stop me now <laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah it was at that moment i was like this episode has gone off the fucking rails it is just wild <laughs> it is mr toad's wild ride at this point <laughs> Uh, I was like, I genuinely have no idea how this episode's going to end because nothing really is making sense anymore. Fuck it. Put your feet up. It starts eating popcorn. (laughs) Basically. And that's all my notes. Same. All right. Episode four. The doctor and Ben discover the bodies Zaroff left behind. Thaus is only injured and they carry him back to the temple. The doctor gets the brilliant idea to flood Atlantis with everyone in it. Sean and Jacko are sent to save people while Ben and the doctor get to work. Ben and the Doctor are the worst actors ever and somehow still get through to Zaroff. They lock Zaroff in his laboratory and leave him to die in the drowning city. The Doctor laments about wanting to save Zaroff, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The city is destroyed and it only seems Jamie and Polly made it out. But this is only season 4, baby! The Doctor can't be dead! Everyone gets back on the TARDIS and things are hunky-dory. Jamie admits he had no idea what the fuck is going on and asks if the Doctor even knows how to fly this thing. The Doctor intends to prove his skills by going to Mars, and the TARDIS immediately careens out of control. So they need to come up with a with a new plan to stop Zaroff's plan. Come up with a new strategy to stop Zaroff's plan of destroying the world. And their plan is... Ah, I know! Flood an entire level of Atlantis! That's not overkill at all! We gotta make sure he doesn't get out. We gotta take it all down. Fuck civilians. <laughs> well, and then the doctor's like, oh yeah, civilians. Uh, you two, what were your names again? Uh, yeah, 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 get everyone out of here. You can totally do that in the five to ten minutes it's gonna take me to do this. I need you two, you know, 
the people who have been down in the mines as like the slave class, uh, I need you two to go around to every single house and tell them to evacuate uh, this entire district of this huge city. You got five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, the Doctor's Bizarre Half-Baked Plan isn't nearly as bad as Ben's improv skills. <laughs> I fucking love <laughs> Ben's improv skills. It is the best moment of this episode. He's still dressed as a guard. He has the Doctor and is like, I was told to take him into the lab. He's a wanted man. <laughs> and the guard says, how do I know he's a wanted man? And Ben's response is, well, look at him. <laughs> it's like, solid reasoning, Ben, solid reasoning. Beautiful, Ben, flawless, genius. I don't know what's better. The fact that Ben's line of, well, look at him. Or the guard's response of, hmm, I see what you mean. <laughs> and before that, even, before we even, before that, the guard is like, what's the password? And Ben's response is just flat out. I don't know anything about any password. <laughs> Look, I've been running around town all day going after this guy. I haven't had time to learn new passwords. What do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> and it works. And the, the guard is just like, hmm, you have a point. You do seem like a busy guy. <laughs> and then as they're walking away, the doctor is just like, I bet you don't know the password either. And the guard says, it's Oscar. <laughs> like, And then they get stopped by another guard. And they're like, what's the password? <laughs> Oscar. All right. <laughs> Genius. Brilliant. Oh, I'm convinced beautiful. that this whole episode is a fever dream. <laughs> and then uh, the doctor is just like turning different dials and unplugging cords and plugging them into other cord other outlets and just like doing a whole bunch of stuff. It has this exchange. Ben says, do you know what you're doing? And the doctor says, oh, what a ridiculous question. Of course I don't. And he keeps doing what he's doing. That is a funny line, but I think this shows the difference between the first and second Doctor quite well. Because the first Doctor would have said, of course I do, my dear boy. Why, why would you even insinuate that? And then continue to just try and guess at something until it worked and then taking credit for it. Meanwhile, the second Doctor's like, fuck, I don't know, you got a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to find out real soon. And then Zaroff, like, traps himself. The wiki said he trapped himself in a part of his lab, but in my mind, it looked like a bubble thing. I was honestly having some difficulty following this part, if I'm going to be honest with you. Because, like, he, there's, like, a part of his lab, and, he, like, all the guards run out because they're like, well, fuck, if the fish people don't have to work, I don't have to work. And also, the city's going to sink. So Zaroff, like, seals himself off into a part of his lab, but it's the part of his lab that he needs to do his blow up the world plan. And then the doctor just unplugs the generator base, <laughs> or unplugs the lights, and Zaroff is like, alright, I'm coming out, but don't move. I'm gonna plug the lights back in. <laughs> and then he comes out, and then they lock him into another part of the lab where he can't do his work. And they're like, all in a day's work. Brilliant narration on my part, really. I really painted the scene there. I followed that better when you were describing it better than I did when the audiobook was describing it. <laughs> And then it cut. It cuts at some point. I don't remember at what point during this does it cut this. Um, but it cuts to Jamie and Polly going down various tunnels trying to find their way up to the surface because the flooding has started. And they're going down different different tunnels trying to find a way out. 
Jamie makes the comment that the sea is breaking through. And I think now would probably be a good time to mention that I legitimately think that drowning is one of the worst ways to die. Yeah. The idea of being trapped in a subterranean tunnel that suddenly has ocean water flooding in legitimately terrifies me. <laughs> no, I get it. I don't want a quick death. Maybe maybe they get one of those sharks swimming down the tunnel after them. Here's hoping. I'd almost prefer that. Okay, so this is... <laughs> I made up a part of the episode in my mind, I guess, because I was listening to it in that scene where they're like in the tunnels, it's starting to flood and like Polly gets like sad and wants to give up. Jamie like convinces her to keep going. I swear to God, I heard him say, I love you. And then Polly was just like, okay, let's keep going. And I was like, what the fuck? And I read on the wiki and then there, and then it said, Jamie convinces her to get up. I was like, but what did he actually say? Did he not say he loved her? No, but there is actually something that was cut. I noticed. There's a part that everyone everyone hated. Annika and uh, Fraser specifically. The people who play Bo- Polly and uh, Jamie hated this scene. Because Polly is basically going into hysterics because there's no way out and they're going to be trapped. And then Jamie slaps her and tells her to get a hold of herself. Mm, cringe. And that's when she's suddenly, okay, I'm ready, let's go. They both hated that scene. Yeah. Fraser Hines hated the fact that he had to slap her. Annika Wills hated the fact that Polly had to get slapped in order to in order to uh, have a clear head. It was just a bad time all around. And if you listen really carefully in the audio version, you can kind of hear just like a gentle in the in the background, but like they do not draw attention to it in the narration. Because I think everyone's trying their best to just forget that ever happened. <laughs> There's a reason this episode got lost. I don't know what I was thinking, but well, you know, it's the audiobooks. It's kind of hard to make out exactly what everyone says all the time. Yeah, very true. But I, I straight up had a headcanon for a little bit that did not manifest. <laughs> not that I wanted it. I was mad about it. And then I was glad to find out it wasn't true. <laughs> but they end up getting out and they think that the doctor and... Ben didn't make it out in time. Uh, but that cuts back. The Doctor and Ben are totally fine. They're making their way out of Atlantis. And then the Doctor stops and he's like, I wish we could go back and save Zaroff. And Ben is straight up like, what the fuck are you talking about? Do you think you can do it in 15 seconds? Because that's about how much time we got left before the city is done. Yeah, fair. Uh, that's a good point, Doctor. I'm glad, you have, uh, I'm glad you have a good moral compass. Counterpoint. Fuck that guy. Fuck that dude. He was literally trying to blow up the Earth. And we need to get out of here. It's like, yes, but if we leave him behind, wouldn't that make him make us as bad as him? And the response no. is, no. Fuck you. <laughs> Not at all. See, Doctor, that's what we like to call a logical fallacy. <laughs> the fact that there are tunnels that lead from Atlantis to the surface kind of makes me wonder how the hell the city is still considered lost at this point. Yeah, who who didn't find it? Why didn't the Atlanteans find the tunnel? Why didn't whoever's on the surface find the tunnel? My theory is that they're like, the planet is, like, long destroyed. Like, civilization on the surface is, like, gone. That's my theory. Maybe. Because it doesn't really exactly say when it is. Like, they do something where, like, well, it's got to be after 1968 because there's a 1968 Olympics thing. Yeah. But they don't really specify a time period. Be- yeah, that's right. That's right. Polly makes the Polly makes a note of, oh, it's probably 1968, 1970, somewhere around there. And they're like, why do you think that? Like, because I found this, what was it, like a bracelet or something? Yeah, something that, like that. That had Olympic uh, symbol 
it being uh, set in Mexico, and she's like, that's hasn't happened yet for us. It was supposed to happen two years from now. And they're like, oh, yeah. So, like, it's anywhere from 1968 forward. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime after that. Which admittedly gives us a lot of wiggle room here. <laughs> uh, canonically in the show, about a million years. <laughs> so, yeah, my theory is surface pop- the surface uh, civilization is just decimated. And nobody's digging tunnels. That's for sure. I- I'm, d- I'm done with uh, that episode, if you are. Just the funny moment of Jamie's like... <laughs> just the fact that Jamie was like, guys, I'm not gonna lie. Everything that just happened, I did not comprehend, even a little bit. <laughs> I was not following. I was just nodding my head. <laughs> <laughs> I just nodded my head and kept following you guys, and it worked out. <laughs> Still alive, so he was doing something right. And then he asked the doctor, he was like, can you take this thing anywhere? And the doctor's like, of course I can. And Ben and Polly are like, shut the fuck up. No, you <laughs> can't. Shut up. <laughs> like, of course I can. I've just never wanted to before. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, but now I'm finally getting the urge to go to Mars, specifically. Beep, boop, bop. And the TARDIS starts fucking spinning out of control. <laughs> Which, when I tell you the name of the next episode, is hilarious. The only piece of trivia that I haven't given yet is that uh this is the final episode with the doctor's stovepipe hat moment of silence so long stovepipe hat you're taking it from us too soon indeed that was stupid (laughs) oh my god (laughs) when it came up in the animation for the power of the dogs i was just like what the fuck is that what the fuck is that and obviously someone at home or one of the producers was like what the fuck is he wearing he cannot wear that the whole time he's the doctor (laughs) I refuse to let that be part of his costume. (laughs) Also, fun fact, the first going into the second is the only time in which uh, the Doctor's clothes change with him. Really? Yep. In every other regeneration, it's the new actor in the old actor's costume to start out with. Hmm. Well, I guess that makes sense. But uh, final thoughts. Final thoughts. This episode was not good. The reasons it's funny or in any way entertaining is because of how bad it is. Yeah, it was a fun episode. Whether that means that you thought that it was a good adventure, a romp, or whether you think it's one of those so bad it's good. Either way, you can riff the hell out of this. It's true. It's a very riffable episode. Very riffable. Definitely leans more towards Sharknado, in my opinion. So Yeah. I think on that note, it just because of that entertainment value alone, I have it higher than the Highlanders. But it's not, like, good, which makes it lower than Power of Daleks. Yeah, I, that, that's probably where I'd describe it to you, because, like, the Highlanders is so nothing. <laughs> yeah. This at least gave me something. Mostly cringe, but c- cringe in a good way. One thing I do like about this episode is that it does kind of seem like Patrick Troughton is starting to come into his own in the role. I know it's because we finally get to see it. But also, it feels like he's having more fun now. I don't know. I also kind of love Zaroff as a villain. <laughs> he's just so over-the-top mad scientist. You can't help but love him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> they all thought I was mad. Mad! Let's see who they think is mad after I pour the entire ocean into the world's core and cause it to explode! <laughs> who's crazy now (laughs) well that's it for this episode guys thank you for listening if you want to help the podcast out the best thing you can do is give us a five-star review and tell your friends about it you can listen to this podcast on apple podcasts spotify stitcher you know 
all the popular podcast websites. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. You can also follow Mac and I on Twitter. You can follow Mac at MacTheMeh and Caleb at CLB underscore Clark. Also, be sure to check out Mac's YouTube channel, also titled MacTheMeh, where he does insightful videos about video games. Love how uh, you said that you can also follow Caleb at CLB underscore Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Caleb, I already said it. You're Caleb. I do. I, I, I'm in third person now. Bob Dole. <laughs> And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we see how successful the doctor was in landing on Mars in the moon base. (laughs) I mean, he got pretty close. I mean, same solar system. It's basically the same spot. It's not even same solar system. That's like, that's just one skip away. That's one... (laughs) You can see it right there. <laughs> it's right there. That's, I mean, we're talking about the whole universe. That's pretty dang close. <laughs> I'm willing to put money down. That's one of the first things he says. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's one of the few times I'd be like, the doctor's right. I mean, to be honest, we're talking about the whole fucking universe and all of time here. The fact they got that close to Mars, I'd give it to him. <laughs> gonna hold you at gunpoint oh yeah send send the files send the goddamn files (laughs) i'm not waiting a week to start working on next week's fucking episode again send the goddamn (laughs) files the good news is they're actually done now because a lot of times i'm like yeah i just uh, i gotta do the noise canceling and stuff but no they're actually done which takes like 10 seconds caleb oh but mac i'm so busy (laughs) I think it could take ten goddamn seconds. <laughs> the point the point is they've they've been exported. They've been waves on my desktop for however long I've had them. Okay. Then send them. If they're already ready, then send them. <laughs> it's the uploading, it takes so long. It's the Caleb. <laughs> I will send the files. It's the most passive goddamn thing. (laughs) It will happen in the background while you're doing other shit, I promise. (laughs) Oh, but will it? Yes, it will. Passive stuff is like the stuff I'm the worst at. It takes the least amount of effort, Caleb. (laughs) I know, that's why I'm so bad at it. That makes no sense. You realize how that makes no sense, right? Please tell me how you realize how that makes no sense. Yeah. (laughs) You're a lazy piece of shit, so doing something that's passive and takes absolutely no effort should be right up your ballpark. Should be. You would think. (laughs) Anyway...